Welcome to the best of B Town 2020. All right, B Town listeners, welcome into the best of the Bartholomew Town podcast for 2020. And boy, what a year, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest about it. But together, we're going to count down the top 20 episodes of the year. And we're going to do it in two parts. Today, we'll hear number 20 through 11. And then coming up on Friday, we'll hear the top 10 episodes of the year. This was calculated. In a few different ways. Number one, through your votes. You know, some of you send me emails or tweeted at me or send me a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. So your contributions right there, um, that's one factor. Number two, kind of the obvious one, the number of downloads and streams that a particular episode received. And I looked at it from a couple of different ways. Number one, the total number of overall listens that an episode got. And then I also looked to kind of keep track of episodes that were released, let's say in like January or March or something, and how those episodes performed throughout the summer and into the fall, because there's definitely a relevance to that, you know, an episode that is somehow able to sustain interest for the duration of the year. So that plus my own opinion, kind of hearing from people throughout the year, that's how I came up with this list. It was super difficult to do so. Now we released well over 100 episodes in 2020, saw massive gains in listenership. I mean, on some platforms, we're up like 850%. And that's because of all of you out there, honestly. You know what I mean? I, I put the content out and you share it, you talk about it, you make this program what it is. And I just wanna say, I'm talking to you specifically listening right now. Thank you so much for everything that you've done to help elevate this platform to what it is now. And going into this year, we had some good traction I felt like Bartholomew Town was something that reached a lot of people, and this year it has, you know, it has just expanded exponentially, and I haven't spent any money on promotion or anything like that. It's just been pure organic growth. So again, thank you all so much for that. You know, this year, when I look back on it, it's going to be really difficult to even process all that happened. Um you know, I, I, I've referenced it a few times on the show, and I'll reference it again right now. That Sunday morning in March where we got summoned as media members to a press conference at the Department of Health featuring Governor Raimondo and Dr. Alexander Scott. And in that presser, they announced that COVID-19 had reached Rhode Island, that, that first case that goes back to the St. Ray's Academy trip to Italy. From that point forward, I feel like my life has just been moving at 300 miles per hour, and it's honestly been difficult for me to catch my breath, to stay focused. We also had such a massive year in social justice, something that's near and dear to my heart and many of yours as well. And that has also been moving at just an unbelievable pace. And on top of that, by the way, it was an election year, <laughs> you know, a presidential election year nonetheless. And um, wow, you know, I don't even really have the words which is a problem because that's what a podcast is. It's just <laughs> unrehearsed, unscripted words. And and right now, I don't even really know how to describe this year other than just, wow. But we've been through so much together. You know, I think about the live streams that I started doing this year and having that chance to really interact with you on a regular basis, one-on-one um, -on -one or your, your contributions to the B-Town group, whatever it may be, out in the field, you know, being at the governor's press conferences, just getting to this new level of intimacy and interaction. It's just been really special. And I can't thank you all enough. Again, I, I, I just am, am very appreciative of your trust 
and your willingness to kind of take a chance and come here to this place for what I believe is um, oftentimes very important information and perspective. I also want to thank all of the guests who have been on the show this year. There have just been so many people who have contributed so much knowledge, experience, compassion, empathy, um, and perspective again, that word, that has helped to build the broad conversation that we've had. So what a year, you know, for me, again, seeing this massive growth on the podcast, seeing the growth on the social media side, getting into the live streams, um, getting into the television sector, which will really expand more in 2021, um, but uh, working with Rhode Island PBS on this new show, and of course with WPRO doing radio, whether it was on air as, as a host or contributing stories, you know, it's just been, there's just been so much that I don't even really know that I can process it fully. But um, today we're going to start with that countdown, the top 20 episodes of the year using that kind of scientific, kind of opinionated (laughs) method that I just described to figure out what were the biggest episodes of the year. And we'll start with number 20 through 11 today, and then coming up on Friday again, we'll have the top 10. Uh, A couple of things. First of all, after this week, we'll have the holiday special next week. I'm going to re-air the holiday special with a special 2020 monologue to kind of um, tie into it. Then, as has been the case for the past two years, I'll be off for a few weeks off the podcast, that is. Um, I've got a lot of new stuff coming, new production, new content coming your way in 2021. I'll be back with new pods in mid-January with um, another, I'll be back with new pods in mid-January and we'll hit the ground running. And like I said, lots of new stuff coming, so stay tuned. I'll be with you throughout this uh, break on television and probably on the radio and certainly on social media as well, so it won't be an actual break, but we're going to take a little pause for the podcast for, I don't know, what, two, three weeks here for the holidays and just kind of to reset and get ready for the new year. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that we are a listener-supported program. There's a few ways that you can contribute. You can share an episode on social media or by text message or talk about it, whatever, you, whatever you'd prefer. Uh, you can leave a rating and review wherever you're listening right now. And if you want to go a step further, for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the bedrock, the foundation of this operation. Simply head to patreon.com slash Town or click the support link wherever you're listening. For $10 per month, you may become a B-Town Insider. You'll receive exclusive monthly content, including commentary episodes from yours truly, Ted Nisi, Ian Donis, Dr. Luis Daniel Munoz. That's a B-Town Insider at the $10 per month level, patreon.com slash Town. All right, folks, kicking off the top 20 of 2020, we go back to March 10th for a conversation with Providence Mayor Alorza. Now, this was inside his office at City Hall discussing the new Providence, a concept that he had rolled out earlier in the year during his State of the City address. And what's interesting about this, I think this was the last in-person interview that I conducted right before the pandemic struck here in the Ocean State. And I remember having kind of a casual back and forth with Mayor Lorza right before we started the interview, right there in his office, kind of going back and forth on COVID. And and we knew it was going to be something real and serious, but I don't think any of us knew that it was going to turn into the saga that it certainly did soon after this conversation. All right, so we are here in the mayor's office in Providence City Hall. Good afternoon, Mayor. Thanks so much. Well, good afternoon, Bill. It's great to have you here. A real pleasure. So 
at the State of the City just a few weeks ago, I guess it was about a month ago now, a concept you rolled out, the New Providence. Uh, WPRO Steve Clampkin, I think he counted it 41 times That's in the it. speech. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get right into, if, if you don't mind, sort of yeah. the gist of what that means. I right. think broadly we know what it means, but uh, yeah. Providence residents, but for everyone in Rhode Island, what does that mean? I think it, it starts with the with the realization, frankly, that the Providence of today is very different than the Providence that I grew up in and that many other folks throughout the city grew up in. And it, it begins with you know, 40 years ago, Providence was not known, City Hall wasn't known as a place uh, uh, that was known for integrity, that was known for transparency, that was known for honesty. And so we've changed that and we've been very responsible with all the decisions that we've made. And uh, fiscal responsibility is an, is an important piece of that. So now we're making our full pension payments. We finished every year with a surplus. We have a rainy day fund, a real rainy day fund for the first time in probably decades. And uh, our credit rating has been upgraded. And we're in a better financial position than frankly we've been in in a really, really, really long time. One of the major storylines of 2020, and in fact, in, in a recent interview with Convergence Rhode Island, I described it as the most overlooked major storyline of 2020, is the emergence of Generation Z as a leadership voice. We saw this in the organizing of social justice rallies around the country, and we saw it here in Rhode Island acutely in a number of different areas in terms of social justice, in terms of climate change, in terms of broadly understanding and breaking down the impact of COVID-19, and we certainly saw it with elections as well. So coming in at number 19, we go back to June 30th for a conversation with Gen Z We Want to Live's co-founders and co-visionaries, J. Shell Nicole and Isabella James. So us as, well, you can't see me right now, but obviously we're two young women of color. We're 15. So I feel like with this, we kind of, I think a quote I used before on my own behalf was that we break every boundary that was set for us before birth. So as both young black women, we already have all these boundaries and obstacles we have to conquer throughout our entire life, no matter how capable or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all these things that we have the ability to do, we still have that boundary. So I feel like we fit into everything because it's not only our time, but this is our life and lives after us. And we are the face of this and we make the history. Um, I've been a youth organizer for over three years now, so I've seen some people come and go, some organizations even come and go. I was a part of an organization um, for two years, actually, the organization here in Rhode Island. And from there, um, I think I really began to learn the power of youth voice, um, especially with the focus on Generation Z, because that's not even just like when people consider youth because there are people who are in Gen Z who are at least in like their mid twenties, but they're still going to be the ones who are facing everything, like all the struggles or the challenges we're facing right now, not even just like police brutality and race um, issues, like climate change, reproductive health, women's rights, all of those things. We're still going to be facing those in the future. So it's really important for youth and for generation Z to be at the forefront right now. And where does Gen Z fit in in all of this? Um, I think we're really like the, the pioneers of Gen Z and the pioneers of proving that our generation is more than just Twitter, more than just Facebook people, Instagram. Like we have so much more potential and we do so much more already than what um, other generations see us as. 
All right, coming in at number 18 on the Best of B-Town 2020 edition is another member of Gen Z, Ryan Lukowitz of North Kingstown, who launched his own weather forecasting blog and podcast, overcoming a disability to become an inspiring Rhode Islander. And we had a great conversation here on B-Town with the man himself. Take that and write my own forecast. And, you know, it, it sounds stupid, but it starts with a nice intro, you know, good whatever morning and just being being friendly and being you know being like you know like i care about each one of the people who are reading my forecast i think that's really important and critical all right there was obviously a lot of uncertainty and there certainly still is a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the epidemiological questions surrounding covid19 but it was nice to have dr james mcdonald of the rhode island department of health on the program back on april 21st this was an enormously popular episode that really helped us to gain an understanding of the thought process inside the department of health now you got to remember this is when you know parks were closed we were in ostensibly a full scale lockdown and i know i was kind of freaking out i know a lot of you were as well and it was just good to have the department of health put forth uh, Jim McDonald for a conversation. So coming in at number 17 here on the Best of B-Town, Dr. McDonald. As far as nursing homes go, our future there is gearing up. We're, we're doing some of this already. We're doing the, what we call cyclical testing. Cyclical testing means we're going to be there every week or so, just testing the staff and the residents in all of these nursing homes, the ones that are most affected at first. And that's really the beginning of our surveillance on this. And part of the reason I talk about surveillance, what surveillance is, and you know, keep in mind, in the in the past few months, past two months here, we've been doing case finding. Case finding means we're going to try to find the people who are sick. That's what case finding is. It's a public health intervention. That's what case finding is. Surveillance means now we're just testing people who happen to be in a particular environment. And surveillance is different. And the reason why surveillance is important is what we're really recognizing with the virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID-19 diseases, some people are asymptomatic. And if you find those folks sooner and then have them isolated, get them out of play, um, you're much less likely to spread the disease. So that's why surveillance is important. Coming in at number 16, it was actually a three-part series that began on May 19th, rolled through May 22nd. B-Town Restaurant Week, and we spoke with Salvation Cafe in Newport, White Electric in Providence, a Duncan operator in Bristol County, the Galactic Theater in Warren, Elena's Alehouse in Richmond, Nolan's Corner Pub in Providence, and Dante Bellini Jr., who right now sort of describes what restaurants were going through and frankly are still going through, if not even in a more extreme case as we are in the midst of the pause and the second wave here of COVID-19. And of course, obviously, restaurant workers at the forefront of the conversation throughout the year, something I've been bringing up to the governor on a regular basis. Just a bad situation overall, and we know it. But coming in at number 16, B-Town Restaurant Week here on the Best of B-Town. feel like we're going to be able to get out of this in, in a reasonable place. Well, I mean, let's let's think about this logically, Bill. Uh, the restaurant uh, industry, uh, the hospitality industry contributes, I think, somewhere on the order of $300 million in taxes um, to the state coffers. Uh, that is not an insignificant amount. I think it's second behind gambling. And, um, you know, we are a tourism-driven state. Everything that we do is, is somehow connected to or related to hospitality. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have uh, a really great person leading that effort. Her name is Dale Venturini. And um, I don't envy her position right now. 
because she has to lead and inspire uh, an industry that is really hurting at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I feel for all of them, uh, but I especially feel for the smaller independent restaurateurs who are now faced with a wholesale shift um, in how they operate. Their world changed overnight. Coming in at number 15, we go all the way back to February 7th for a Rhode Island roundtable on solar farm siting and community challenges surrounding solar and wind installations with Representative Mike Chippendale, Eco Rhode Island's Tim Faulkner, and the Boroughville Land Trust, Paul Roselli. Now, this was a fascinating roundtable conversation that was I intended to be a part of a series that would basically recur throughout the year. I had planned on doing like four or five of these, but obviously with COVID, with the social justice conversation and everything else that's happened here in 2020, we were left with just the one roundtable discussion way back in February. But I think it was really informative, and it's one of those issues where you find a consolidation of opinion between progressive voices, conservative voices, and observers as well. So here's Mike Chippendale, Representative Mike Chippendale, that is, with his thoughts on solar and wind siting in western Rhode Island. The pot has been stirred, and Rhode Island starts to move towards new energy production and and new energy ideas. What have you heard from your constituents well this move sort of really took um took some strong uh, leaps forward right about the time i got elected in 2010 um and, and it really did uh grab hold in the legislature where we had um legislators uh, upping the uh the portfolio if you will of, of energy uh sources and and increasing the percentage that is uh, that must come from renewables um that was happening right about the time I got in, and it's it's been happening right along. Uh, also, coupled with that, has been a lot of a lot of um, incentives for uh, landowners to host these sites. There's a lot of subsidies, federal. Uh, there's some state money, um, which is from a landowner perspective, I think um, it's something that can incentivize a person who may be sitting on a piece of land that may otherwise be uh, simply that land, unbuildable or unfarmable or what have you. Uh, but what we've seen, unfortunately, is is it's gone too far over that, and now there's such a strong financial incentive for uh, these types of, of, of installations to, to be done that we're taking viable forest land and and farmland that is forested, and we're clear-cutting it by the hundreds of acres in the western part of Rhode Island uh, to erect um, solar fields and uh, turbines. Um, you know, there's some, some cute semantics going on with, with the term farm being used associated with solar and, and wind, which I reject completely because uh, it has nothing to do with farming. It destroys farmland. Uh, it is nothing more than an industrial uh, power production facility being sited in what should be either farmland or protected forested land. I think one of the major points of 2020 that I like to think about is that we've been fed this false dichotomy that somehow we have to choose between our own health and well-being and our medical sector and our business sector, particularly on the small business sides. That's a false dichotomy that can be remedied with a variety of robust programs on the economic side of things in terms of getting dollars into the pockets of small businesses and dollars into the pockets of workers and with a common sense solution to pausing restrictions, whatever it may be when it comes to the state as a whole and and navigating COVID-19. Well, coming in at number 14, back on May 31st, we had a conversation between 
Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee, who has been really one of the state's leading small business advocates, and Dr. Luis Daniel Munoz, who has been one of the state's leading advocates for health and equity. He's actually a member of Governor Raimondo's Equity Council. And we got right into that exact conversation. Like, we can bridge these two quote-unquote schools of thought to get us through this pandemic. It's not one or the other. And I'd be remiss to not give a shout out to Dr. Munoz because he was a part of our live stream broadcast that happened mostly during the lockdown, quote unquote, March, April, and early May. He would offer a lot of perspective and commentary following the governor's address on a regular basis. And I know a lot of you became familiar with his work uh, during that period. So coming in, number 14, Lieutenant Governor McKee and this man, Dr. Luis Daniel Munoz. When we're talking about a pandemic and a highly transmissible disease, the reality is that uh, as much as it affects one community, it will eventually also impact another community. And we, we've seen this ha- health crisis turn into an economic crisis. So what we've done, and when I say we, you know, as an individual, I've always advocated for these things, but one person can't create the necessary change, right? It needs to be a group and a community together. And so community leaders and organizations have come together uh, to demand health equity. Um, And what that means in in terms of context is really opening testing up, removing the physician requirement, uh, more transparency around the data. We can't mobilize our resources to support communities unless we really truly have a good understanding of the transmission rates of the population that actually has the disease, right? So when we talk about incidence and prevalence, those things need good data. Um, and so transparency is a, a pivotal component of that. You're listening to the Best of B-Town 2020 edition. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. A tremendous honor and privilege to serve you with content all throughout this maniacal year, no doubt about it. All right, coming in at number 13, our B-Town 2020 primary special. We had WPRI's Ted Nisi. We had the Public's Radio's Ian Donison for some commentary. We had candidates Dylan Conley, Lenny Co, and the ultimately victorious Tierra Mack, who led a charge of Rhode Island political cooperative candidates into the Senate in particular. Our 2020 primary special, number 13, on the best of B-Town 2020. It's been the wackiest election season in probably going back to like pre-automobiles or something. I don't know. Like it's, it's, yeah. It seems so disrupted. But have you been able to communicate not only those issues, but also your personality and kind of your energy to your, your uh, potential voter base via virtual or even door knocking? Yeah. Um, so I have recently started door knocking, or not recently. I started door knocking uh, at the beginning of end of June, beginning of July, um, when it felt a little bit safer in New England to kind of like get out there and expose myself to this virus while like, you know, dealing with um, anxiety, depression, social isolation, all of those like, you know, cute, wonderful things that we're all dealing with together during COVID-19. And I think for a lot of people, it's the idea that we need change. Um, Senator Harold Metz has represented this district since it was created in 2004. And before that, he was a state representative from the late 80s, late 80s, early 90s. So he's been in politics longer than I've been alive. Well, coming in at number 12 here on the Best of B-Town 2020, we welcome back United States Senator Sheldon Whitehouse for a robust conversation on everything from elections to COVID-19. You heard it right here exclusively on B-Town. From a messaging standpoint, getting people on board to to understand it's not just... uh, you know, rioters versus patriots or some kind of narrative that's been portrayed? Yeah, I think um, the Republicans have done a very good job of creating that fake narrative and trying to diminish or deprecate all the people who, in good faith, perfectly peacefully, and with an ardent desire in their hearts to make things better, went out and 
protested the way Americans are allowed to do to make their views heard. They obviously don't want that, so they've turned it into the sort of patriots versus rioters uh, narrative. Well, number 11 here on The Best of B-Town is an episode that I honestly wish we never had to record. And uh, it's sad that we did, to be honest with you. But it's Jen Rourke, who was a candidate for Senate out of Warwick, a member of the Rhode Island political co-op who faced racial taunts during an online campaign event. Um, This was actually a powerful conversation. I know that when I was selecting what would be, you know, included in this best of, it was something that I, I, I personally thought should be in there. And I know I heard from a number of you who said, hey, that was really important and really powerful um, and sad. There's no doubt about it, but, but authentic. And a lot of credit goes to Jen for sharing her perspective, sharing her story. And um, here it is, number 11 on the best of B-Town, quote unquote, right? Uh, Jen Rourke, just after she faced racial taunts during an online campaign event. Um, but most of the people in office don't live the way that I live. Right. Like they don't have to understand that that my skin color determines how I'm treated. I don't have that privilege. They have the privilege, so they don't have to deal with it. So people, when they attack them, they attack them on on their policy. Why can't they do the same for someone like me? Right. And this idea that somehow, like the conversation about privilege or anything like that, is part of the liberal conservative spectrum, you know, that it's somehow, you know, and and look, Donald Trump has a lot to do with this. There's no question about it, but it goes way beyond, um, you know, political figureheads. This is deeply rooted nonsense that there are folks who going back to the COVID-19 situation, who having grown up in the Southern part of the state, I see some of these kids posting on my Facebook wall that they just have no clue about what's going on 40, not even 40 minutes off the street. These are the same folks who, you know, when you, you know, you'd go play Central Falls in a soccer game, you know, there'd be all kinds of remarks and the gym teacher would be saying, oh, watch your stuff. Everybody leave your mm-hmm. stuff on the bus. You know, yep. this moronic um, ignorance is, is pervasive. And I guess that's the most, that's the thing that strikes me as you're, you had to, you were subjected to something as a public person and by the way your statement that running for office as a as a black woman is the hardest thing you've ever done i mean that was like a a punch in the gut and then the, then a twist of the knife as i'm watching that because your courage and what you stand for fundamentally is so inspiring to me but the fact that we don't have a full court press to erase this sort of thinking in any sort of institution, churches, you know, or other houses of worship, you know, music and, and sports and whatever it may be, politics, media, you name it. I mean, we need to get to a point where this is so outla- outrageous and, and, and shameful a way of thinking that nobody in their right mind would, would touch it, but we're not even close. Yeah. The, the biggest issue is the, we need to have the conversation. We need to have that uncomfortable conversation that nobody wants to have. It needs to be had. I am the person, I hate when people say, I don't see color. Oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Please. Yeah. Yeah. You see that I am a brown person. You see this. I need you to understand. I need you to understand what it's like to be me. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.